The Cypherman's four-dimensional insectoid armor does not save them from his gun, screaming bullets of converted erotic thoughts. Their protective shells splinter and crack and fracture. His ammunition is round after round of old playboys with Marilyn Monroe's centerfold. He's killing them with love. The encephalic abortions wail in the rapery hall. Behind his mirrored sunglasses are eyes of cold joy. His stare is colder than cool. It is absolute zero, able to stop movement on a molecular level. The bodies are starting to stack up around him. He's coming up on overkill. He'll start questioning his already dubious morals. He wants to trip like Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper in Easy Rider. Lots of acid in a graveyard. One day, which seems like a relative year away, he'll put down his gun and beat his sword into a plowshare. Some dark, sticky steel box in the back of his head wants to find a nice girl to settle down in the suburbs with. White picket fence, blossoming cherry tree, the whole cliché. Enough of the softness, he thinks. The constantly bleeding door to the throne room stands before him, surging in fleshy anguish, made of the bodies of those that have failed before him. His mind is nothing but a razor-sharp blackness. It has to be. He will not become a warning for those after him. He knows that if he fails, they win. No one will follow in his footprints. He falls. The world does too. He shrugs that weight off his shoulders. He's not Jesus. No need to carry a cross. Not that a cross would do any good in this place anyway. Jesus was one of theirs. The door gave away with a weak scream. The echo of it was absorbed by the undulating walls of the great hall. The surroundings raised, lowered, and swelled as if it were breathing. The walls glistened with a sickly sweat and smelled like rotting meat and rain season. The helisacs buzzed and whirred about, their razor wings collecting the secretions for the cypherman tanks, where they grow the Zero Church's workforces and army units. He cautiously went through the hall, his steps soft on the permeable floor. His breathing was slow and steady, but his heart raced in his chest like a stampede. He came to the doors that led to the sanctuary. The door was heavy-looking and made of anti-metal, a metal dense enough to pull free of natural physics and sink into other dimensions. The king and queen stand ready to reap the nightmares of his childhood and force them down his brain. They were going to wrench open his skull, tear the still-vivid dreams of unabashed terror from him, reimagine them even worse, and cruelly replace them in his mind. It wouldn't kill him, but he wished he were dead. He could feel their cold fingers reaching into his mind. He allowed it. He thought hard and pulled them in. The bodies of the king and queen followed their fingers into his psyche. They walked around his childhood, amplifying the crushing pain from the moments he lost pieces of his innocence. They wandered his adolescence and soured his every joy and taste of love and affection. They came to his adulthood, marching on and grinding the skeletal remains of his triumphs. Somewhere outside of this place, he cried and screamed and fell to his knees, but he did not weaken. His eyes ran with salty tears and coppery blood. He leads them deeper into himself. They come to a wooden door laid down, the handle broken off. This is where he would keep his darkest secrets, his stickiest fantasies, and his inexcusable urges. They dig their hands into the malleable surroundings and pull at the door. It yields as he whimpers. They descend into the cellar door of his mind, navigating the darkness like it was light. He shuts the trap door and hefts the gun to his head. The trigger gets pulled. It's like an alien abduction, 
A bright blast of light blinds him, taking a minute for his eyes to adjust. He's surrounded by the abstract stereotypes of extraterrestrial beings. They talked in emotional aggregates, words that don't describe things, but are things. They use all 37 letters of the alphabet. This is when he wakes up in the future. That was an excerpt from Hardwired Messiah. My name is Doug, and this is Mr. Wright. I chose that exact excerpt from Hardwired Messiah because this episode is all about world building from the reader's point of view. So I read something slightly out of context. You don't know who the king and queen are. You don't know who this character is who's killing all these weird insectoid people. You don't know... I even realized that I used different um, tenses to screw with time, and you have no idea why I'm doing that. So, from a listener or reader point of view, being thrown into this world headlong might seem a little confusing. That's what I'm here to talk about today. I've got some examples from other published writers, uh, New York Times bestselling authors, in fact. In terms of being dropped into a world without any context... The two huge examples I have from this are Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson, where you just get chucked into the cyberpunk world. He doesn't explain shit. He doesn't explain what's been going on in the world, what's been led to the events that's going on, or what's shaped the world economy. Like, you just have to figure it out by yourself, or he'll drop little tidbits here and there throughout the entire, and he writes massive novels. And you either learn to enjoy it or you hate it. The end. Uh, Neil Stevenson, with he does that in Snow Crash, he does that in Diamond Age and the Baroque Saga. He just pitches you in and goes, figure it out. This world's in my head, you figure it out. Now that can be kind of cool, because in terms of something like cyberpunk, or maybe even fantasy, you're brought up with these like concepts, or races, or people, or whatever... That you're like, oh, this intrigues me because I don't know anything about them. And maybe later on they'll get explained or I can just fill it in in my own mind. Or there's some kind of small contextual clues as to what's going on and what this means. But otherwise, it's kind of cool to be kind of confronted by a world you don't know. I mean, I assume that's why you're reading. And that can work to your advantage. Like I said, it creates an air of mystery. It might drag the reader deeper into what they're reading because they want to know what this world is and you haven't given them enough of it on purpose, hopefully. Now, on the other side of that, uh, when you drag someone into a world that you are not giving, uh, or I'm sorry, you're giving too much context to. This is why I hate Tolkien. Yes, I hate Tolkien. Deal with it. Deal with it. I appreciate that he was a linguist, that he made all these other languages, he built a world to put these languages into and to inhabit them with hobbits and wizards and dragons and giant eagles and orcs and such, but he does come from a highly literary background, very academic, and that's how he writes. Dry, overly descriptive, in my opinion. One of my favorite examples when I bring this up is when I tried reading the uh, Fellowship of the Rings when I was younger, and they all the, the Fellowship ends up stopping for a bathroom break, I believe, um, or that's what I'm going to say, uh, regardless. And it was I'm going to screw up with this Hobbit. Give me a second. Um, Frodo. That sounds right. Yeah, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Frodo 
ends up describing the leaves of the trees, like the the like the, the world's like flora for like ten pages, and it was mind numbing. There's and it, it escapes me who wrote it, but there's a classic called uh, Mutiny on the Bounty. And there's a literal like seven page or eight page chapter that describes this like whirl of a knot hole in the ship, uh, in the wood that makes the ship. And I know it's made to be introspective, but it doesn't come off as that way. It comes off as boring, uh, pointless. It's not like every other chapter in Grapes of Wrath by Steinbeck where every other chapter is like a seemingly unrelated thing with no context, but ends up becoming a metaphor for the family Joad moving to California or moving towards California. You know, some mistakes Steinbeck's randomness seemingly, but yes, the turtle on the highway is a metaphor for manifest destiny, a modern manifest destiny. So what does this all boil down to as I stop dropping author names? Part of this comes into editing, whether it's self-editing or having an editor, is think about the kind of world you're dropping them into. Think of your readers. I know you're sitting there clacketing, clacketing away on your keyboard or your notepad, and you're high-fiving God because you're on like this massive idea high, and I can appreciate that. But at some point, that high wears off, and you're left with these words that someone's going to have to read. Think about what kind of world you're chucking your reader into? Is it too dense? Is it not contextualized enough? This is something where you can have this great idea and you are not explaining it very well. The execution of said plan is done poorly. Now, once again, that execution of the plan being done poorly can be over-describing or under-describing. Try to find a middle ground. That's at least what I try to do. I know there are things where I've kind of chucked people in the middle of it. Hardwired Messiah was actually one of them. I bring up a lot of high concept ideas and don't really explain them. But, you know, you don't need to know where the cipher men truly come from or why they have insectoid armor or, you know, the, the night church or whatever I called it. You don't really need to understand. Like, you know, obviously that they're malevolent and those guys fighting against them. You may not know why, but that's, you know, the whole piece isn't in there. But I think I kind of, you know, gra you can grasp listening to Hardwired Messiah, the excerpt, very easily is that, yes, this guy's killing a bunch of people, but he's the good guy. These king and queen who want to, like, rip out his mind and torture him, probably bad guys. So, obviously, the words I use to describe them and their world, that helps put it into context. Even though the main character is doing a horrific thing, killing all these people, he's doing it for a good reason, seemingly. So that's all I really have to say about a whole new world of your own creation. So remember, you keep writing, they'll keep reading. Right on. If you liked this, check out some of our other shows like Mr. Right, Exotic Liability, and No Applause, Just the Clap. You can find us at www.bacnpodcast.com and by searching for BACN on iTunes and Stitcher. Oh, yeah.